And so I'm going to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, please, to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been looking at the promises of God over the last few weeks and about the journey that we are running together. And um, I, use, I use the word together because none of us run the journey just by ourselves. We run the journey together with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, with one another, and God has been speaking to us in the context of his promises. And so I hope that you've found Ephesians chapter 6, and we are going to read verses 10 and onward. As you know, the book of Ephesians is again Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, a very, very important church within the day that Paul lived. You know, he also wrote to the book of Galatians, and we saw how he spoke to them, and he was pretty strong on his instruction to them, very authoritative in his manner and in the words that he used, because he understood the times that we are living in. Here Paul speaks to the church at Ephesus. Again, it was a leading church within the context that Paul and the other apostles had been working into, and um, it's a wonderful book if we had to look at a teaching on the church, which we may do. But I've gone to the last chapter as we are running this race together. And as we've been looking at the promises of God, and as we ended a couple of weeks ago with that beautiful song, um, at least we read it out to you, standing on the promises of God. And we looked at the promises of God and we looked at the promises of God that was written to us. But over the last week, as I was praying for today, I really did feel that even though the promises of God are well documented for us in the Word, and as we read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit opens up these promises to us in some amazing ways. And as we explain to you that when we look at the promises of God, that we need to interpret them in the context that they were written. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit will come and he will take a, uh, a promise even out of context and he'll highlight it towards us and he'll speak to us about it. And oftentimes we would call that the prophetic word of God. And that prophetic word needs to be tested within our hearts. And you need to do that. And I've had people give me prophetic words that I have received because that's my responsibility. And I have received prophetic words, the now word of God, which I have rejected. And that's my responsibility because Paul in the book of Corinthians says that we need to test those words too. So the promises of God takes on many shapes and we need to read them within context. If they're out of context, we need to test them. And one of the things that stood out to me this week as I was trying to hear what God was saying about the times we're living in, as I was praying for us, was that, you know, we need to stand on the promises of God. As that beautiful hymn said that we read, there's a standing that we need to do. And so I'm going to read the scripture for us, and I want you to notice whether you can find that phrase. And I'd like you to think about what you would call, if you had to give a title 
to this passage of scripture in the context of the promises of God. Um, I simply have entitled it, Stand Your Ground Against the Devil's Schemes. Stand Your Ground. And stand your ground when it comes to the promises of God, what he's given to us. All of us need hope. I spoke to a pastor in England this past week, and he says, Piet, we all need hope. How do we get hope? We get Standing on the promises of God. And so let's read together. Ephesians chapter 6, reading from verse 10. Finally, of course, Paul has spoken to the church at Ephesus about their position in Christ. In the first few chapters, he speaks to them about their position. That means um, Christ had come and that he has blessed them with all spiritual blessings in high places in Christ. Isn't that interesting? With all spiritual blessings. And so he goes on and he tells them that their position in Christ is secure and strong. And he speaks about the gospel, how it penetrated the lives of the people in the church of Ephesus. And he says that um, Christ canceled the debt that was laid against us in the way in which he forgave our sins, in the way that Jesus died for us, and in the way that he eradicated the guilt over our lives and how the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus Christ. You see, before our sins are forgiven, the wrath of God hangs over every single person. And when we come to Jesus and when we confess our sins and we repent of the position we're in, that we are lost, and that takes place, Paul says to the Ephesian church, that sin of yours was nailed to the cross. And so he speaks to them in the first chapter about that. He says, your sins were nailed to the cross. He says, and the wrath of God was taken off of your life. And as a result, peace, beautiful peace entered your life. And you have a new position in Christ, no longer a sinner, but you are transformed. And I know that some of you are going to smile a little bit when I use this word. You're no longer a sinner, but you are a saint in God. That means you are a believer. And he says, peace has entered your heart. Joy. Because now your position is secure in Christ because of what Jesus did. We call that grace. He did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And that's the foundation that we need to step into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 with. We've got to understand our position in Christ. And then he says, finally, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full or the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Very importantly for the times that we live in. For our struggle is not against, can I hear those words from you? Can you say it very loud? Well, some of us are acting like it is flesh and blood. 
It's not. What does he say further? He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, ha, now you know where my topic comes from. After you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and with, uh, with requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And let's just stop right here for the moment. Just as you look at the scripture up to there, he's speaking about what we need to do here. And then, as we read a little bit further, he says in verse 19, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He starts off with the gospel in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, and he finishes with the gospel in the end of the book of Ephesians. Your desire and mine, with all the uncertainty that's happening within our world, is to make sure that our behavior is becoming, to you and I, sharing the gospel with every one we come in contact with. If our behavior obscures us, prevents us, deters us from sharing the gospel with one another, then something is wrong within our belief. The gospel should be paramount within our minds, and it should be central to our behavior. That glorifies God. And believe me, the book of Ephesians, just like the book of Galatians, were written in trying times that Paul and them were living in. And still he says, pray that I may fearlessly proclaim the gospel. I had the opportunity again a couple of weeks ago, and I took my car in for a service, and um, I've established a relationship with the garage that I take my car in, and it was so cool because I've, I've gotten to know these guys. And when I come in and I say, I need to bring my car in. And normally it takes a while before you can get an appointment. And they always are so kind. And they say, let me have a look. Oh, no, 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 come tomorrow, come tomorrow. And so they've been very, very kind to me. And we've established a good relationship with them. And last time I brought 
the car in. They did a service, and then he told me that we needed to do the brakes on the car, the front and the back, you know, and um, I brought the car back the next day. But as I was with him that morning, I said to him, well, when should I come and pick up the car? He said to me, hey, why don't you come at half past five? Now, normally it's around four that I go. And I said, cool. He says, yeah, no, if you come half past five, give me about 10 minutes because then you and I can just go to the back there and we can have a beer together. And so I said, oh, well, okay, <laughs> let's, let's do that. And this was the salesman. He was the foreman over the garage and all that was happening there. He said, yeah, no, I'd love to have a beer with you. So I said, no, that's cool. I'll have a beer with you. And um, I got there, and he was busy, and we went into the back, and we started to stand there with all of the guys who were fixing the cars, the mechanics, and it was a real garage environment. And um, I'm not that um, – let me say this very, very carefully um, – I'm not that comfortable with people smoking around me all the time. Um, my dad smoked when we grew up, and I created kind of like an aversion within me. But I don't mind if a person smokes next to me, that's fine. But when you have a whole bunch of guys who smoke, and we're drinking beer, and I stand there in the midst of them, you know, that's a little bit uncomfortable for me. And I stood there, and as we were talking, as we were laughing, as we were talking about all kinds of things, you know, those other things were so peripheral because I realized that these guys had opened up their hearts and their lives to me. And, and the one guy in particular started to tell me his life story. And I could start telling him some of my life story. He spoke to me about his son that's 19. I spoke to him about my two sons that are 22 and 25. And some of the paths correlated what his son was going through in which my younger son had gone through when he was ill. And suddenly, his heart just opened up. And do you know what, friends? I think when we get so involved in the things that's going on today, we missed the point of God placing us here. And the point is, even if my clothes smell like smoke, and the worst thing for me, believe it or not, I don't want my breath to smell like alcohol, you know, because I see many people, I can't go to a house, and I'm, but you know, all of those things kind of just was peripheral in the context of these guys opening up their hearts to me and stepping into that place and having a beer with them, and laughing, but most of all, I had an opportunity to talk to them, particularly to this one man, about the gospel of Jesus in a very basic way, and to the point where he said to me, Piet, and I explained to him what we do here, he said to me, Piet, is it okay if I WhatsApp you one morning on a Sunday and say to you, I'm coming to the church? I said to him, absolutely, just watch me. I said, I'll meet you outside, and you sit next to me in the church. Now, this is a guy around 40 years old. My friends, Paul starts with the gospel. He ends with the gospel, and part of our spiritual warfare is understanding the gospel. And I, last night, 
you know, I, I couldn't sleep, and I think I went to bed about one o'clock, and I just wrote something down, and I said, the gospel is central to our spiritual warfare. And I wrote down, believe it, live it, and preach it. When we do that, it is amazing when God has made certain promises to us that our footing becomes a little bit more secure in the promises of God because we're focusing on the right thing and we are not diverted to the things that are peripheral that you and I are making such a big thing of at the moment. Question that I said to someone just the other day as we were talking about quite a number of these things. I said to the person, when last did you share the gospel with someone? You're talking so much about all of these other things. When last did you share the gospel with someone? My friends, this church is so serious about the gospel. But during these times that we live in, we need to believe it, we need to live it, and we need to preach it. And other things will fall into place. I'm having to stand on a number of promises during this corona period that we are involved in. But how do I, as a church leader, stand on the promises of God for the church, for you, and for others? You have a similar position as I, because we're all Christians and we all want to see the gospel penetrate the lives of other people. So how do we stand on the promises of God? How do you take your stand? How do you stand your ground? during the times that we live in. Well, firstly, we've got to make sure that we stand on solid ground. And I believe that as we follow Paul's instruction in first chapter of Ephesians and the last chapter, that the gospel is central to our understanding, you'll find out that that's one of the uh, uh, soils that we need to stand on to stand secure as we embrace the promises of God. And so this is just a general outline that I'm going to give you because we're not going to look at all of them um, in depth. But having done all to stand, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, stand your ground. Don't waver. Don't be moving your position every week but stand your ground. And so having done all to stand, to stand, there's a few things that we need to know. The first thing that we need to know when we stand our ground, we need to know that God is fighting for you. That's the first thing that you need to understand, that at this very moment, God is fighting for you, so stand humbly. My friends, there is no space over this time to stand arrogantly. 
Your arrogance will bring you down. We need to stand our ground humbly. How are you treating each other during this time? Are you treating each other humbly? Or are you arrogant within your stand that you're making? My friends, if you are taking your stand arrogantly, then you haven't understood the gospel. If you understand the gospel, you'll understand that the standing that you have in God is because of him and not because of you. And you'll treat other people the same way. I am humbled when I know that God is fighting for me. That this almighty God who created the heavens and the earth is for you, he's for you, he's for you, and he's for me. Let's make sure that we don't fight one another because then we're going to fight against God. How many of you know that that's a serious thing? Any amens from your mask, nodding your heads. Thank you, that's great. We don't fight one another, that's arrogance. We stand humbly because God is fighting for us. I wish the whole church would hear this point. I look at my American friends in America and with the elections coming on and I battle with the stance that some of my Christian friends are taking so arrogantly. My friends, this is a time for humility. It's a time to be humble. It's a time to love one another. We don't think about ourselves. It's not our own opinions, and your, yours is but just an opinion like mine. When we understand, when we take our stand and we stand on the promises of God, my friends, we do it humbly because we know that God is working and that God is fighting for his church. He's fighting for you. If you're going through a difficult time today, my friends, you need to know that God is fighting for you. Personally, not just corporately. Oh, how beautiful are the scriptures when we look here. You know, Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally be strong the Lord and in his mighty power. That's what we stand on, his mighty power. And our hearts start to melt because of his goodness, because of his grace, because of the kindness that he showed towards us. It's a real sense of humility that we operate out of. Romans chapter 1 verse 6, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's the power of the gospel working within us and God fighting for us. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wonderful verse for us during the times that we live in. In James chapter 4, verse 10, James says it so beautifully. Humble yourselves before the Lord. 
and he will lift you up. Why? Because he's fighting for us. He's fighting for you. I have over the last month just been involved in the lives of people where they need to know that God is fighting for them. And so easy, you know, I can be carried away by the opinions of men and women. But we need to understand that God is rooting for each and every one of you. And we should follow the same path for each other. Let's be there for one another. And I'm just going to mention the next few points and maybe go back to one or two. Having done all to stand, secondly, you need to stand knowing that the Word of God is inside of you. So stand confidently. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? We need to stand humbly because God is fighting for us. The Word of God is inside of us, so we need to stand confidently. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 14 and 17, he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I was brought up as a young boy where the Word of God was primary to my life. I think I remember my mom just reading the Word of God to me, the children's Bible to my sister and I. And ever since then, I've loved the Word of God. Um, I was in churches, different denominations throughout my life, so I've gotten a wonderful breadth of the Word of God within those churches. An incredible Bible college where I studied at, where the um, president of the Bible college was an ex-South African, but he was a wonderful Old Testament scholar. And he just taught the Word of God for four years, just lapped it up. I have a love for the Word of God. And when I feel insecure within my position in God, I just go to the Word of God. It's an incredible comfort to my life. I was thrown a few weeks ago, I said to you, by a certain incident that happened that I had nothing. I, it was completely out of, outside of my control. And I remember my heart being so disturbed. And the next morning, I just got into the Word of God and, and I read. And, and in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit took a scripture and the scripture spoke to me and Jesus kind of said to me, and, 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 and I'm not going to read the scripture to you, it's, it's my scripture for this moment. And uh, what the scripture was saying, Jesus was just saying, all authority has been given to me by my Father. Isn't that beautiful? When your heart is perplexed, when you're disappointed, when you're discouraged, and you read the word of God and the Holy Spirit takes the scripture and he says, look at Jesus because all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth. So he was saying, just trust God because he's fighting for that situation that you're fighting for. My friends, this is the word of God. I want to encourage you during difficult times to get into the word of God. Just read it. The Holy Spirit is so faithful to speak to us through this word. 
Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. My friends, when you take your stand, make sure that you know that the Word of God is inside of you. Stand confidently. First Peter chapter 1, verses 23 to 25 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishables, through the living and the enduring Word of God. It's amazing. If Jesus is inside of your life, then the Word of God is like a seed that just grows when it's watered. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, I get so excited about this. I can talk all day about this. When you water the seed within your life, which is Jesus, because Jesus says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, in John chapter 1. He is the Word. And so when we read the Word, I think something just kind of just leaps within our spirits because Jesus is within us, and that Word comes, and it strengthens us, and it encourages us. My friends, take your stand. Know that the word of God is in you and just stand confidently. Now when I pray into that particular situation, the word of God has given me faith again to lift my head up and to believe God for that very, very thing. Take your stand on the word of God. The Word of God becomes big within our lives when we read it in a humble way. We live our lives in humility. That's when this Word of God just springs forth and it does amazing things within our lives. Having done all to, to stand, stand knowing Thirdly, who your enemy is. When you know who your enemy is, you can stand discerningly. Who does the Bible say is our enemy? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. My friends, our enemy is not a flesh. I'm not your enemy. You're not my enemy. People outside there is not your enemy. The Bible very clearly says that our enemy is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, not flesh and blood. Don't attack people who have been put into positions to make decisions. They're flesh and blood. They're performing their role. Again, I said, be very careful that in your ignorance that you do not fight against God. We shouldn't be fighting against men and women, against rulers. But the Bible here clearly identifies the enemy to us. Our enemy is the devil. 
And the devil means accuser because he accuses God's people day and night before the throne of God. Revelation chapter 12 tells us. Our enemy, and another name for him is Satan because it means he's our adversary. Because he is the enemy of God. He is also called the tempter in Matthew chapter 4 verse 3. And he'll tempt us. He's a master at it. He's done it for centuries. He knows how to get his hook into your and my life and to pull us along with him. When you know this, my friends, then you can stand against your enemy and you could do it discerningly. For me, in the times that we live in, we need to be discerning about how we react, what we say, what we do, and who we listen to. Because if you don't, you'll find yourself fighting against the wrong authorities, against the wrong people. And God is so gracious, he comes and he identifies and he tells us who our enemy is. Paul also tells us, he says, when you take your stand, you need to know what your God-given privilege is in spiritual warfare. What is our God-given privilege? It is prayer. That's our God-given privilege. And when we know that God-given privilege, we can advance prayerfully. I'm still amazed during the times that we live in how low on our priority list prayer is. Prayer ought to be at the top of our list. Prayer personally, but prayer corporately. On top of our list, we pray together as a church on a Tuesday night. Nothing ought to be more important than that type of prayer during the corona period, especially. It's our God-given privilege. And in our struggle against the principalities and powers, there is a blessing that comes upon us when we pray together in unity. Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. for 45 minutes. That 45 minutes of people praying for you has made a massive difference within your life. It's a privilege that we need to share. I love it. People are nodding their heads who are at that time, and I so appreciate it. Thank you. Why do I say it? It's because when I'm not able to be there on the Tuesday night, you're going to be there and you're going to pray. And when you're not going to be able to be there, you know someone else is going. We can't always be there every Tuesday night. I understand that. But you need to be there some of the time. Amen. So accessible. Amazed at the priority that we place on prayer. It is our God-given privilege. While living in Switzerland, I have learned more than ever before within my life how important that privilege is. I've understood that the warfare that we have is against 
principalities and powers, and you cannot fight it in the flesh. You cannot organize the enemy out of your life. You cannot work the enemy out of your life and out of the lives of others. But my friends, believe me, you can pray the enemy out of their life. You can pray the enemy out of other people's lives because it's a God-given privilege. There's a guy that I follow on Twitter, and sometimes I don't know why I follow him. But I like his honesty, although he's honestly wrong many times. But his name is Pierce Morgan, and he just wrote a book called Wake Up. And of course, it's very different from what we're talking about here. But I do believe that in the whole area of prayer, that the Lord, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to wake up to the privilege that God has given to us to pray. It's a gospel privilege because the gospel teaches us that we can come boldly into his throne room of grace in our time of need. It's beautiful. He says, the veil was torn when Jesus died for it. Prayer is a God-given privilege out of the gospel for every single believer. Advance prayerfully. And then just lastly, when given the opportunity, proclaim Christ courageously. My friends, having done all to stand, Stand by proclaiming Christ courageously. And I think I said enough about that. But my friends, are you standing on soil or on ground that is not very secure? Change your position and learn to take your stand on these five things that we very briefly looked at this morning. And you will position yourself on the solid ground of Jesus more securely. It seems like a contrast. We are secure within Christ. But my friends, practically, we need to position ourselves securely within Christ. And so let's, this coming week, take our stand on the solid ground of Jesus Christ and his word given to us. Would you stand, please?